Hello, this is Steve Smith, and I'm a real hooper. What real hoopers do is they lead on and off the court, more importantly in their community. Got to go to hoopersvote.org, learn how you can make a difference, make a change. Once again, hoopersvote.org. Get out there and vote, make a difference in your community. That's from Steve Smith, a real hooper. Welcome to the Athletic MBA Show, Monday through Friday, on the Athletic Podcast Network. Coming up on today's show, Coach Thorpe drops in, and we're going to talk heat culture, if we should be surprised by the Lakers, and our general thoughts on the playoff bubble. Give me that spatula! I'm back, baby! This is Nerdish You Wrote with your host, Dave Dufour. With Mo Dekeel. Are you ready to be entertained? And Seth Partnow. And welcome to another episode of Nerder She Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show. I'm Dave Dufour. Seth and Mo are floating around here. But the most exciting news, we got Coach Thorpe back in the building. What's up, Coach? How's, how's True Hoop treating you? Amazing. Yeah, it's good. This is uh, it's a strange time uh, where um, we could be facing the end that when we never thought we'd get here and suddenly... You know, we're here and uh, it's uh, it's so nice to be able to focus on basketball. We spent four months coming, especially someone like me that really tries to write about stuff on the court when there's no games at all. Uh, it, it is a challenge, but uh, it's been a blessing to just uh, blessing. It's been nice to be able to write about this stuff on the court. And, and now I'll start diving into the draft, I think. I'm not, I mean, I remember any of the players except for like two. So that'll be interesting for me to do that. And I'm, I'm watching a lot of European basketball now because they're back to playing. Oh yeah, um, my my synergy account is getting a lot of use yeah. uh, as as the early Euroleague games are are being played. Um, so we're we're coming up on the off season, uh, which means Seth is probably going to be busier than the season because Seth signed his book deal. Let's go! Congratulations, Seth! Yeah, boy. <laughs> now I just have to write. Yeah, it. No, no remember those days. You'll yeah. be fine. <laughs> yeah. No. Not a, that hard right people write books all the time okay do you have a plan do you have a plan <laughs> i do I, I i do have a plan uh i actually have a little bit of it of, of it written already um it's just it's it's the uh the size and scope of of fitting that number of things together in a coherent fashion is is uh daunting but then you kind of start to you chop away at it piece by piece and yep. and then you kind of when you have the kind of the raw materials, then this is what people tell me at least. Then once you have the raw materials, you kind of shape them together to, to, to build a more coherent whole. So kind of not worrying about the, the the trees first and then worrying about what the forest looks like kind of once we get all of them planted. Seth, my real question is how much of your book is going to piss me off? <laughs> yes. It's actually, it's actually, exactly. a, uh, it's actually an 80,000 word burn book on you. So no, I mean, I, it, it, it feels like it. it's okay. I'm going to support okay. you. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to help you out. But I'm just tell, I'm just curious. How many times am I going to read it and then throw it across the room? Um, <laughs> more than one, less than ten. Is my guess. Okay, there we go. Is uh, that because there'll be less than ten chapters? <laughs> oh no. Uh, okay, so um, right at the top, I, I want to just kind of get our general thoughts on, on how the finals and the playoffs have gone for you guys in the bubble or how you feel like it's gone. Uh, obviously this season has been a year long 
at this point. Uh, it feel, like Coach mentioned, it feels like it took forever to get here, and it did. But we got here, and by the time we record again next week, the season will be over, right? We'll have a champion, probably the Lakers. They're up 3-1 as we're recording. Um, so, Coach, I'm going to start with you because you're popping in today. How, how have the finals been to you? I, I know, like, the atmosphere is totally different with no fans, and obviously the, the Goron injury kind of took the wind out of the sails quite a bit of the matchup, but I, I think the finals have been pretty good. How about you? Before I answer that fantastic question, I have to ask, is it Drogic or Dragic? Dragic is how I pronounce it. Dragic, soft G and soft C? Yeah, that's how I pronounce it, but I'm not even sure if it's right. I should actually check that. Yeah, I'm embarrassed. I've been saying, is, I've been listen, I've been teaching Goran's game to my son since he was in sixth grade. Now he's a freshman in college at Florida State playing. And I would like to know if I ever got it right, because he was the one guy that I thought, was just so crafty around the rim, and I wanted my son t- to do that. So I love his game, and so you're right. It's it's too bad that you know, their leading scorer uh, didn't get a chance to play. But just in general, I would say that going into the finals, I've been blown away with the presentation that the NBA has offered us in the form of these games. I've been absolutely thrilled. I, I watched the games in Europe. Uh, back in uh, early summer, it, empty gyms. The feel wasn't the same. There's no production value at all, just five on five. And I'm used to that as a coach. Most of the get times you know, we take in basketball action, there is no one in the gym except us at practice, right? Uh, and so I've not missed the fans for one bit, just to be honest. I'm not saying I don't want fans. I'm just saying I haven't missed them at all until now. This I've noticed that in the finals, there's just – there's something lacking in these games that I've never once thought before. Maybe, maybe it's, it was just me. It's something personal, but so that part's made me sad. Nonetheless, I'm still absolutely thrilled with what, with what the NBA has put forth. Uh, uh, the players, I, I would argue that you would never know the difference that there's no fans in the gym or there were based on how these guys are playing. They're competing their asses off. Like they're risking their bodies. Guys are falling over everywhere knock i mean the other day rondo and davis crashed into each other to get a rebound they both blew it and crowder got the three but it wasn't for lack of effort and so i feel like right. the coaches are coaching their ass off hell five of the guys are standing up half the time coaching the players are playing their ass off it would be nice to have fans in there I, i'm glad that we don't because we wouldn't be playing still because people would be getting sick for sure and and worse than that for the fans but um i've been thrilled and i uh I'm very proud of everything to do with the NBA and how they put forth this product. They've given us really fantastic games. One of the, one of the things that we've talked a lot about on the show during the bubble is that the the way that the guys have played, you know, throw you you mentioned they're on the floor, they're diving all over the place. I mean, look at how far they're running out on these layups. I mean, they're going full speed at the basket. That doesn't happen if you have fans around the basket. I would argue that to a certain degree, the the style of play has been better in the bubble. Obviously, we know that the, the shot making has been incredible. I mean, Anthony Davis all of a sudden is, I mean, he's shooting like 50% from three in the finals and just is a, a lights out shooter from the mid range and three. You so, think that's because of the background? I think it's I think it's a lot of things. And Seth has done work on this. So yeah. I'll let him I'm talk about the, the the actual data that he's got. 
So I think it's as it as much to do with um you're playing and just there, there isn't someone close to you. I think we've all played in gyms with, with that have kind of narrow sidewalls yeah. and and maybe uh, like not a lot of room behind the basket and there you just you know there's times you kind of pull up a little bit you don't go quite as well and we're seeing so much that these guys are using the uh um uh this extra space, this padding to really like sell out, uh, like trying to save balls from out of bounds. Uh, you, you can close out as hard as you possibly want without worrying about crashing into fans on the sideline. Um, and I, and, and we've talked about this before, but kind of the lack of proximity to people is, I think, part of the reason why some of the, the shooting, especially kind of the corner three point shooting has been, has been elevated for, for much of the bubble. So I think in terms of just um, guys running around freely without, you know, okay, it's people, they can move, but it's still kind of a wall right at your back when you're kind of on the sideline of a game in, in, in the traditional setting. And I think that has, that has affected the style of the game. Yeah, I also think part of it, too, is not having photographers row on the baseline. Like, that's something I've always been afraid of is guys getting hurt you know, going in for a layup and stepping on an ankle, you know, or, or tweaking their own ankle or something like that with just all the photographers there. I mean, forget about just the, the courtside seats on the baseline, you know, before them, you have the row of photographers and it's a, a dangerous thing. And I think that's part of what you were talking about, Dave, of guys flying in mm-hmm. and willing to dive for those situations. Cause they know only thing they're going to hit is the ground and, and, and maybe that billboard that's a little even further away so I think it's kind of all of that plays a role into it. And I think all of it has made it a very interesting uh, product on the court. I would love to see them adopt that EuroLeague style, you know, around the around the court uh, presentation. They never will. Right. Like the, those seats are worth too much money. I, Dave, um, I, I don't know. Henry and I talked about this on uh, uh, may have been yesterday on your exact point. Well, Henry's Henry Abbott Troops point was. Uh, we same thing I said to myself watching the games that we need to get the court wider. These players are just mm-hmm. too tall, too big, too agile. You know, there was no Anthony Davis's back in the day in terms of having the the ability to play guard and center the way he does. There's more guys like him than ever, and will continue to be. I've not seen James Weissman, but I understand he's really tall and really athletic and got some skills. We're gonna have more guys like that, so we need to widen the court. And Henry said there is a way on the money side, you just mentioned, I, I, I'm not sure I describe it great, but to Mo's point, uh, we can only have as human beings, one conscious thought at a time. Computers can do multiple things. It, we can't do consciously. Like we can't think about uh, puppy dogs and ice cream, unless the puppy dogs eating the ice cream, right? Like we just, we can't do both. So by definition, if a player, and I, I deal with this all the time as a coach, if they're thinking about landing on a photographer's ankles or his camera, they're, they're not 100% focused on the basket, making the shot. Yeah. You, it goes, think about it just kind of going back and forth, like a one and two in digital. Camera, basket. Can't, and so that lack of focus causes more misses. Mm-hmm. But we want to create a better laboratory in a sense where all they should be thinking about is making the shot. Now, the defense being there is a whole other thing. That's part of the game. That's why guys miss when Rudy Gobert's around, Anthony Davis around, right? right. I, got, I think Tyler Hero missed that pretty much open layup because Anthony Davis yep. was chugging down, right? But if they also have to think about landing on a photographer, that's a problem. We should be able to well, clean up and not lose money. We've all been in the gym with 
professional players before. Empty gym. Yeah. And I mean, how much, uh, what's Dwight Howard from the free throw line in an empty gym? Yeah, much right? better. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Uh, I mean, we who are these guys? Like uh, a lot of centers back in the day probably could have shot threes in an empty gym. Yeah. It's just once you add the defense and all this other stuff. Right. And I think that you just get a better you get a for sure a mo, more appealing offensive game because guys are hitting more shots. But man, I it to me the television presentation without all the distraction, without, you know, I mean, I don't have to worry about someone spilling a beer on the court and having those delays. I don't know, man. It's just it's basketball. And, and I think that that's the one thing I've been begging for the NBA to give me, and the bubble has actually allowed them to do that. I mean, we're probably going to get a similar presentation style for next season. I think so. Because I don't yeah. think they're going to have fans back. But I wonder if the league doesn't look at this for a full run and say, man, we really have something here, and maybe you've got to find a way. You're, you know, you're going to have more corporate sponsors or corporate boxes or whatever. You're going to find a way to do it, but it would be amazing if they did. But the the finals in particular, I think, have been, uh, you know, even with Goran's injury, more competitive than I expected because the Lakers are, are really, really good. And Miami, like you, you mentioned, lost their best scorer. Um, but it hasn't had the same energy without fans. And that's this is the one time that I will ever say this, but I have missed home fans because you know this is kind of the culmination of the entire season and, and it does feel a little bit empty to a certain degree yeah there, there's um one of those things you notice watching you know seasons over the years is is the you know you talk about regular season games that have a playoff feel and part of that is the guys on the quarter are are more intense and the fans pick up on that and there's kind of this this raising burble of noise that kind of goes on. And you see that in the playoffs too, where just like the, the, just kind of the ambiance gets more and more. And these, the, like these games have been incredibly intense for the most part. And so not hearing that kind of the, 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 whatever kind of ambient noise they're using to simulate the crowd still kind of being at the same level. It's a little bit uh, incongruous. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a little bit what you're feeling. And I think there's also been, you know, occasionally some of the games have had sort of better sound mixes than the other. Um, yeah. but you yeah, guys, true. I, why I, is that? Yeah. I agree. Why is that? I, I, different, different schedule. Yeah. It's a different sound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's been the weird part. Um, I, I think you guys, you guys have really hit on, on something about the presentation though. This is something that, uh, we when we had uh, Kevin Arnovitz on um, at Sloan low those many months ago, um, he was really hitting on. I think I've kind of come around to his viewpoint on this is m- emphasizing the degree to which this the, the the TV product is the best, and I think we're seeing that that does need some fans, but not necessarily catering so much to the in arena experience as opposed to kind of the this is great television experience and oftentimes those things are the same but sometimes not it works I mean, for football man like you don't have fans on the sidelines in football and, and i think that you know obviously different sports and, and a football field is much larger and the teams are much larger but it works you know but sometimes to, to more of seth's point too though it's just a matter of like 
the the roar of the crowd kind of creates that intensity moment and and things like that. Then you have players that feed off the energy, both good and bad. You have some players that love getting booed and it and it encourages them to go nuts and things like that. I know it sounds kind of silly and, and things like that, but it's just a matter of just some guys kind of feed from the the vibe they're getting in the arena. And I I'd love to hear from players in that respect of just what it's what it feels like. I know a lot of them are going to say like I don't hear things or stuff like that. That's all bullshit. Yeah. A lot of these guys hear stuff and and they know and you can see their reactions sometimes. They may not hear it in the moment, but they can sense it. They can sense when they're in a, a enemy territory, should we say, or or, or the, they're playing the villain and stuff. And you know, there's nothing more for me. There was nothing more thrilling when I was with a team when we'd go in to a tough road crowd and beat the crap out of them and just hear silence, you know, and you know, it's that kind of stuff. And that's the stuff we're missing a little bit in the game is the breath being taken away from the fans one way or another. And I think that's what it's the one thing we we've kind of lost. But other than that, yeah, it's still been a lot of fun. Well, they definitely should have the sound guy like pack up his equipment if it's a blowout in like the the fourth quarter and just walk out. They should film him walking <laughs> out, especially for Miami. You know, you got to make them feel at home. Uh, speaking of Miami, <laughs> the big talking point uh, coming into the to the finals and actually their entire run, which has been spectacular, has been heat culture. And I, I know that. Culture is one of these things that that might even get over discussed. And with the Miami Heat, it certainly has. Uh, but coach, you're the perfect guy to talk to about this because I think you you know about it firsthand. Heat culture is real. It yeah. shows up on the court. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's two things and, and we get them convoluted some. So uh yeah, I'm a, I'm the one who always cites somebody else's quote, which is culture strategy for breakfast. That isn't my quote, but I love it. The heat definitely since since I first had a player with them in 2003, they definitely kind of hang their hat on we're just gonna outwork everyone. And they really believe it. Like they really do have bikes outside their practice courts. And Shaquille O'Neal really was on a bike whenever he wasn't on a court because he claimed he was hurt and he was really pretending to use the bike. Every time Pat Riley wasn't looking, he would make funny faces and piss guys off. And then Riley would look and he would pedal as if he was exhausted because he's Shaquille O'Neal and it's good to be Shaq, right? Um, But they do like check body fat. Uh, I had a player training with them this summer uh, who reported to me then that he thought Duncan Ramos was going to be really good this year. The player was right. And, uh, and they go extremely hard. It made no sense to me to go as hard as they were going in like July. I, but that's just what they do. However, that has nothing to do, in my opinion, with Eric Spolstra's genius in running single double action for Duncan Robinson and letting right. Tyler Hero get off. Like that is Rick Adamant wouldn't have done that, I promise you. And and Don Nelson probably wouldn't have done that. And most other coaches would let young dudes have the kind of green light that he's given them. Now he's also coached them up and they've gotten better and he's held them accountable. But I I had a conversation the other day with a a very famous former player for different reasons. Who's now an executive for a a very, very good franchise. And he, he ended his text message. We were texting before we talked to the phone. He ended it with, now I'm going to go to sleep dreaming of my coach who I won't say who he was, but he's a famous coach letting me do what Duncan Robbins is allowed to do. And that's really the point. I mean, the Heat start major playoff games with single double action for Duncan Robinson or some other kind of screening action 
for Duncan. Like, what? Like, he wouldn't see a second of time for three quarters of the league's coaches, in my opinion. I'm sorry. Because of he's a little weak or, or a little pale-skinned or whatever you want to call call it. So defensively, he's a little bit of a challenge. Great. He's not the world's best defensive player. He's a motherfucking amazing shooter. And he ain't small, by the way. And he gets no. it off super quick, right? So <laughs> I give Spolstra far more credit. Then the Heat deserve credit just fine. They didn't draft him the first round. They didn't draft him the second round. They didn't give him a guaranteed deal. They made him a two-way player last year. So let's be clear. This is supposed to returning what could have been a nobody in the league to a guy that's going to make a whole bunch of money and deserves it because he's really damn good. And I think, I think, and also with Bam, we should not forget that. I don't, I did, I don't know Bam's Kentucky game. Maybe you guys, Seth and Mo and Dave, maybe you paid attention. I didn't watch a second of him in college, but I, when I first saw him play in the NBA, I never saw this. Right? They they found something with him and they played with it. It's almost like uh, uh, in the lab where you've got something, I don't know what it is, but let's just see where I can take it. I, I give the, the Heat coaching staff, it's unfair just to credit the head coach. The staff deserves a ton of credit for how they developed. Even Goran, ha- Goran having the year that he had, like at 35, I want to say, right? He's not young. Mm-hmm. 34, yeah. 34. So, uh, and, Jimmy, and Jimmy Butler, who, uh, who has continued to find ways to – to prove that he's really damn good, even when he's pissing you off. They they are not flukes. I don't think they make it here if it's a regular playoffs, just because the nature of being a five seed. But in a bubble where every game is on a neutral site, advantage, and I wrote we wrote an article on Troop Guys back during the break where we'll see who wins the pandemic. Well, I tell you who won the pandemic. Tyler Hero won the pandemic, right? Duncan Robinson won the pandemic. The Miami Heat won the pandemic. They took advantage of the break and made themselves better, who didn't win with the L.A. Clippers and Paul George. They didn't win the pandemic. That's for sure. The Milwaukee Bucks didn't win the pandemic. That's for sure. So uh, the the, the franchise deserves credit. I give the players huge credit, and I think Coach Bowen and his staff deserve a lot of credit, too. And the the Lakers, I should say, are pretty good, too. Well, for me, like, my thing was, and and we said this earlier, was – you know, the development, just the knowledge of how they were going to use Duncan Robinson. I mean, you've seen it, coach. Like anytime you have a shooter, okay, great. Let's make him a ball handler. You know, it was like, no, their attitude was like, no, no, we have a good shooter. Let's make him a great shooter. Let's kind of really push him over the top and things like that. I thought that's something that the Heat have done overall in in how they develop all their players is they look to see their guys, see how we can make them better. And they just kind of do it a little bit differently than everybody else in that sense. And ultimately just the 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 culture side of it is, I mean, this is something they've developed since Pat Riley, you know, was was the coach there. And it helps that he was a team president and can make the decisions and all that fun stuff. And there was a time where they kind of got away from it a little bit, right? With some of the guys they brought in that didn't quite fit the culture. You know, you they found you know, Dion Waiters, which is kind of ironic that he's on the other <laughs> side. But the you know, Dion Waiters, uh Hassan Whiteside and guys like that who didn't quite fit their culture. And things like that, but eventually kind of recognize it and going like, crap, we kind of forgot who we are for a moment and and have gone back to, to reorienting and resetting it is kind of something that I think is pretty impressive. And that's actually that's not pretty impressive to me. That's the most impressive thing about their culture is recognizing that they screwed up and then making the subsequent changes they had to to get back to it. So I want to go back to something that that 
coach said before heat culture. He, th- he talked about uh, Bam Adebayo in, in his college game. Um, I've I've said this on the show before. Single most impressive draft workout I saw in my time with the Bucks was was when Bam came in. It was pre- precisely because of that. Um, you know, on tape, a mobile defender and you know lob catcher, all those things. And right. as soon as we started doing, not even like three on three drills. As soon as we started doing like ball handling drills, it was like, oh. Oh, wow. Oh, and it took, yeah. and, and, and I was already, you know, high on him because he, he, he created out well analytically and about five minutes into the workout, someone leaned back and looked at me and was like, not going to be there uh, for, <laughs> like, he wasn't like, I was like, <laughs> oh, yeah. So, uh, you know, um, cause it was like, if, if we could see it in five minutes, every place he went could, could have seen it. So, uh, and I think this is, you know, some Kentucky guys, I think we're seeing that they are, Mm-hmm. I don't know if stifled is the right word, but they are – They're pigeonholed. Pigeonholed a little bit. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like not knowing Devin Booker could run pick and roll the way he can, yeah. you know. Well, um, Jamal like Murray that. is pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you're going to talk about winning the pandemic. Yeah. Jamal, Jamal Murray, Murray. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because he, he that guy put on some real strength. Um, but back to Spolstra, because I, I think that, you know, at this point, everyone – like you can't call him underrated because everyone realizes he's the best coach in the league, right? I, I think that that is pretty unanimous. I, I would at least say one or two, right? Two. Right, would, yeah. he's in the yeah. top tier. Whatever the yeah. tier number is, he's in there. I think he's one of the greatest coaches uh, of the modern he's era. Fantastic. For sure. It, it, the best um, thing he ever did was go eleven thirty and then thirty and eleven in the same season, right? Without <laughs> like like LeBron <laughs> James suddenly getting healthy. No, it was the same guys. Right. That's no roster change. That's yeah. sick. That's just sick. Like, uh, it doesn't happen. How does a coach like Spo get the buy-in that other coaches don't? Is it his resume or is it how he is? Uh, one word is empathy. He he, and coach, you can you can uh, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I don't think yeah. I am. No, I love where you're going. Um, he is allowed by his players to to be demanding. Because kind of like like Pop in, in a lot of ways Pop. is he he demonstrates so clearly um, his his investment in them, and that's motivating. And I I, I think you you've seen it. You know when he talked after the Eastern Conference Finals about like you know guys enjoying it and and you know we're not going to lose our minds and go crazy, but you know let's talk about what a great thing we've done and 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 enjoy the journey and. You can just see him uh, even on the sidelines during the game. He is, he is, you know, he's going crazy when the refs make a call or whatever, but he's also enjoying himself because this is like, this is why we do this. So let's, let's, you know, celebrate the, the doing of it. And I think that's infectious and, and, and being able to communicate that to the players and meet them as individuals and partner with them um, allows him to be demanding. Right. I, I love what you're saying. I don't want to neglect uh, the just the, the good fortune of having Wade and Bosch and LeBron. May, it may not even matter. LeBron alone might have been enough, the evidence suggests, to, to be able to make it to four straight finals. Because uh, I thought Ty Lue was not a good coach when he first started in Cleveland. Pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm dead right on it, too. By the end, even though his team was doing worse in the finals... Uh, he, I thought he improved a lot. Uh, he just was, his team was totally outmanned, but 
the, the, the microscope of those games compared to the regular season where you just, you can't deep dive if you want to, there's just too many games they, they, and the right. players can't consume all that information. But when this is all they have, you really get a chance to probe your own abilities. And so I think Spo those four years grew enormously uh, and with pressure. It wasn't like it didn't always have pressure. Whereas like, I'm not sure Ty Lue always had this. I'm sure he didn't. He wasn't expected to beat the Warriors ever, and he got him once. And so, but there's a separate thing, guys, and that is, uh, you know, I'm one of the guys who kind of been doing player development longer than anyone on the planet. And I will tell you that we didn't do J.J. Reddick threes in my gym because nobody could make them anyway. That was my, in my opinion now, a provincial thinking. We did threes. And we did them off the dribble. We did shot fake, shot fake side dribble. We didn't use to. Then we started doing that free fake shot to get a create space. We didn't come out hard off screens. We didn't do that. And JJ is, is a he's a cyborg just like LeBron is. By the way, I'm sure there's a computer chip in there uh, because he's floating through the air like he defies physics when he makes threes. No one can do what JJ Reddick can do until Duncan, Kyle Korver to some degree. I think although my memory serves Korver is mostly curling right, kind of back towards the rim. Typically, uh, now I'm doing it. Literally, we're calling them Duncan Robinsons. I've got a, a very good NBA six nine and a half, three four five, who we only have worked before on catch shoot and a little bit off the move, off the contest. And now we're coming hard off screens, right and left, and flares from for three, which is a long shot. And we especially really, that one coming right where you're coming from the right corner and, and turning right shoulder, mm-hmm. like kind of against Very your hard. Body. Yeah. So we, what I've done is I, I, I tell uh, you guys may have, my guess is as your fellow nerds, you've seen game of Thrones. So what I do is I, I say, imagine I've always thought this, but now I say it even for this kind of thing, imagine someone drives a spike. Sorry for the macabre part of this right through your skull, down your spine to the ground. So you're, <laughs> you're spiked in there, right? And, okay. and so when you shoot, you have to jump straight up and straight down. There's nowhere else to go. The spikes in your spine. So we are now working on Duncan Robinson surging off screens, changing speeds. And then when you shoot, you're jumping straight up and landing straight down as if you're going up and down that spike. Right? JJ ignores that because he's JJ. But no one else really can do that, in my opinion. And my players do it extremely well. And I said to him today, we worked out this morning, like I'm just a fucking idiot. Like how did I not know years ago that – Someone besides J.J. Reddick can make these kinds of shots more consistently. And so guess what? As Steph Curry has changed the game for 20 – I shot 28-footers when I was in college playing pickup because we played one-on-one full court in, the, in 12 o'clock sun in Gainesville. So I was too damn tired <laughs> to go to the rim, right? But I would never do that in our real five-on-five intramural games, whatever. Uh, Steph changed all that forever. I think Duncan has too. So if coaches are smart around the world – We'll be taking our best shooters and teach them how to get balanced, even though you're running full speed. Just like James Harden and Luka Doncic stop on a dime and then change directions, that decel- that immediate sudden deceleration, we can do that for shooters too. Watch how much harder it's going to be now to guard these guys because they can come off those screens at 28 feet and make those threes. That's a credit to Eric Spolstra, who's given Duncan a chance to prove he can do it. and He'll stick and get paid because of it. It's almost like, you know, okay, people have been trying to make shooters run pick and roll. Well, if you can shoot on the move, like the DHO is ba- is, a, is basically a pick and roll, and you don't you never have to dribble. Basketball guard. And, and, you, right. guard now, and, and, you, and you never have to dribble. So right. so it's it's almost like, okay, no, let's 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 emphasize the thing he's already good at to get to the same 
you know, to put the the defense in the same, we can't cover this two on two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean the, the DHO, especially when you have a guy like Bam, who's the one rolling or let alone just handling the ball yeah. in the sense of like, he can just pull it and turn and go straight to the rim, you know, or make the pass if they blow that up to the next guy, like that just opens everything up on top of that. But I would kind of want to go a little bit back to what's, uh, Seth was talking about in terms of Spo, you know, empathy level stuff. Like that's something we lose in these coaches. Like the, the coaches who try to be very militaristic tend to forget that one part and that one key component of empathy. You know, we, you know, Spo has done it. You mentioned pop. I mean, I've seen it. I've seen pop literally rip a guy in shreds in the film room and then them walk out of the film room with his arm around yeah. his shoulders and him joking with him and, and playing with him and stuff. And like pop understands that. And, and Spo does too. It's the guys who are too militaristic, the, the Boylan's for that matter, you know, the guys who, who, who want to project that, but don't bring in the empathy side of it. It's a, it's a currency thing. You have to build that capital with that guy, that equity, so that you can be able to do that. And I think that's something that really the best coaches would, would do in order to be able to coach the way they want to coach and everything would spoil it. The guys get it. Cause everything, you know, coach Thorpe said about him developing Robinson, you know, he's going to make Robinson a crap ton of money because of it. And it was hard in the moment. I'm sure he was hard on him. I mean, the, the stories of the sprints, every time he passed up a shot, you know, he had to do and things like that. All of that stuff is like, man, this sucks, but he understands because Spo's investing in him. He's going to do it and he gets all of that. And I think that's the most important aspect. I think we lose sometimes with some of these coaches who are, who, who try to be too tough, but without understanding that you got to be tough, but you also got to show a soft side. We're going to talk about the surprising Los Angeles Lakers championship run after a word from our friends at DraftKings. All right, guys. So the Lakers, you know, underdog Lakers, just, you know, nobody believed in them. Nobody believed in LeBron James and Anthony Davis. None of us are surprised, right? Like we all kind of, didn't we all pick the Lakers to make the finals? It was Lakers or Clippers, but I know on this show, we we changed our tune and, and we were off the Clippers pretty early. Uh, Mo might've been the first person in NBA media to be off the Clippers. I mean, it didn't take him long. I don't know. I don't know what, what inside knowledge Mo had, but he saw the, the chemistry issues with the Clippers coming. But I think with the Lakers, we all kind of expected them to be pretty good, right, Coach? I mean, before the season started, I thought they would have a much, I thought they'd have a better year than the Clippers. And then by the end of the year, the Clippers would catch them for the one seed, like making the last two weeks of the season great. Uh, and I think I had picked them like one or two games apart in the win loss column. Uh, and then at the break, I didn't think about anything. And then as I told you guys before we were on air on June the 12th or June 11th, I called Henry Abbott, our founder of troop. And I said, Hey dude, I think the Lakers win the whole thing. And Henry said, David, they're not even sure they're going to be a season. <laughs> I said, well, if indeed they do get back to Orlando, like you're talking about, I said, I, I told him, I just don't think there's enough time for the Clippers to refine that energy. And in, in my world, if you can't build a team, T-E-A-M team, capital letters, that can overcome the dynamic duo of a team like the Lakers have with LeBron and AD, well, then LeBron and AD are going to win because they actually have a team. And so even though the Clippers are deeper, the Bucks have Giannis, I just like that dynamic duo, which I think the postseason is super important to have two of them, not just one. 
because I thought Giannis was deserving of the MVP in the regular season. And yeah, so I, I did it percentage-wise. I gave the Lakers and the Bucks equal equal potential to win a championship, only because the Lakers, I thought, would probably have to play the Clippers in the finals and the Bucks. The Bucs would have such a tough time. And the East was way weak, weaker. In fact, I thought game one of this series, I would have I would have favored Denver over Miami or Boston. Like I thought, I thought the West, I thought the matchup against the Heat was much better for Denver. Actually, than even LA in, in some in some case, because I think Jokic would have just destroyed their zone. Just destroyed their zone. He would have lived in the middle where he always is anyway, with his back to the basket, like he frequently has. Tatum and Marcus Smart were playing like Jokic. They don't ever practice to play that way. So I thought Denver would beat them. The fact that the, the Lakers clean their clock in a sense, and they're terrific Denver, uh, showed me that, they're, okay, they're going to come in rolling and win game one. And, yeah, so I'm not surprised by anything. Uh, I thought I thought this series would be their toughest challenge. I may turn out to be wrong if they win in five, but be, I didn't know they'd be losing. Remember, they, they've lost Garan for three games, but they did lose Bam for two, two and a half. So right. it's really, I feel like I was right. This was their, this was their a worst matchup they could have in the East. I think they'd have a better time with the Bucks than a way better time with the Bucks in the Heat because of the, because of so much easier to guard Giannis for them. So yeah, the Lakers, the dynamic duo is what it is, and and we should not. And guys, the last thing I'll say, we should not praise Spolstra and not praise Frank Vogel because he's been fantastic from day one. In training camp, where, they, where he had AD and LeBron really talking about defense, and they they walked the walk, they guarded all year, and they eviscerated offenses. Portland, Houston, Denver at times were unguardable until they ran into this team, and they mm-hmm. take you out. And Alice Caruso is a bloodhound and a pit bull combined, and they got KCP flying all over the place defensively. Kuz was playing defense. They're not even playing Javale McGee, their starting center. Like they. They are built to guard you, and they deserve. They're deserving champions when they win it, which I think they will. Hey, there's no better endorsement for Frank Vogel than me saying, you know, maybe he should start Kuzma for Danny Green. Oh, that's anyway. how that's Mo- how Mo- good he's been Danny doing, right? Hey, listen, you guys relax. Hold on, now pump Whoa. the brakes. It's still Danny Green. That's a, that's an NBA champion right there. No. You know, multiple time NBA champion. I could start for LeBron. What are we talking about here, fellas? Like, what are we? Now you're being ridiculous. But but no, Frank Frank Vogel has been has been excellent. We we talked about it a lot here. I, I think that that commitment to defense it, it started with him. But you know that doesn't happen if if Vogel doesn't have LeBron yeah. bought in like he has. And and I think that that's something uh, that has been different from previous LeBron teams is that I saw the buy-in from LeBron to the coaching staff from day one. And, and I mean, the, the entire coaching staff, I, I think Phil Handy has been great. You can see the way he communicates with those players. Yeah. That coaching staff isn't getting enough credit for sure, because LeBron obviously deserves the bulk of the credit, but, but the coaching staff has done a really great job. Those role players are playing excellent basketball. And I think it does start with the coaching staff on that, on that front. Yeah. I think, I mean, first let's, First, it goes to this is the video room bowl here, right? Both of these guys started from the video room. So I'm going to take my little victory lap as all other former video <laughs> coordinators go. We, we it, It's us. Um, no, Vogel's done a phenomenal job. It was actually the very first piece I wrote for Bleacher Report was saying the most important thing for Vogel coming into this job was getting the buy-in from LeBron, you know, and that was in August. He's got to get him to defend. They did that the Lakers like if people are acting like this is a shocking thing for the Lakers to be in the finals you know it was either them or the Clippers all year and the Lakers had 
shown all year, hey, we can defend. Their offense looked shaky a lot at times. It's gotten much better now. Much they're better. Moving, much better. It's, they're running stuff off the ball, on the ball. They're doing. They're not just playing ISO basketball. No, they're cutting. They're moving a little bit more. They're, they're, there's a lot more actions behind it. But you know, during the regular season, it looked rough. I mean, it looked they were god awful in the regular season. Whenever LeBron went to the bench, Terrible, yeah. it, it didn't. It, I mean, you know, that it looked like he was he was the only playmaker. None. You know, of course, Rondo shows up in the playoffs and is having kind it of a, a a moment. Yeah, and, and really kind of stepping up, but. You know, this is this has been the Lakers all year. And Dave, I know you alluded to me with I picked the Clippers at the start of the year. But once I saw how they just kind of their approach to the season was the regular season doesn't matter. That's when I was like, you guys are a new team. You guys have never played together as a whole. That's a problem. And you think you can flip the switch. And the Lakers went the exact opposite. We're a brand new team. This is something we haven't seen from LeBron in a while where he tried in the regular season. You know, and, and I think Giannis should have been the MVP, just like Coach said. But you know what? There was definitely a case to be made for LeBron because he was pushing all season. So I think, you know, the, the so anybody that's acting surprised or anything with the Lakers, it's like, no, they've been putting in the work. And Vogel and his staff, like you guys have said, have been phenomenal. And it's all started with the most important thing is getting buy-in from your star players. Yeah, I you, you start with two of the top seven players in the league, whatever you would like, you're going to be a very dangerous playoff team. <laughs> and, um, and I, I'm someone who, who didn't think the Lakers would have a great regular season um, in large part, because we haven't seen an engaged LeBron over 82 games in six or seven years. Um, and we largely got that. And, and, you know, and and that's the difference between we've we talked about this a lot with Milwaukee, but the Lakers were also one of the great bum hunting teams uh, of all time in terms of just smashing the bad teams. And that's you know Le- LeBron showing up to okay Charlotte, enough of you. We're winning by twenty five tonight uh, in a situation where he may have he may have, that's a game that you know his last couple of years in Cleveland he maybe coasts through a little bit. Uh, I think it's fair to say. So yeah, the regular season they were they were much better than I thought they'd be. But in terms of being you know a, a extremely dangerous playoff team, you've got LeBron and AD. So you're you have you're kind of starting every playoff series with with an Anthony Davis sized lead. Um, you know even against the other best yeah. no even against the other best teams you 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 okay Le, okay LeBron and Giannis LeBron and Kawhi whoever that's that's a you know. Maybe slight edge either way, but the, oh, AD. Okay, um, so right. who, yeah. who would you rather have, AD or Tristan Thompson? What are the contracts? No, no, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to get you got an opinion on something. I'm thinking about writing a piece. I'm happy to say it now. If they, if they do win by next week, which I expect, we all expect. Like I have to think more about this, and I'm, I value each of yours judgment on what I'm going to tell you, but. Like, I think AD right now, forget about career accomplishment. There's a whole separate argument over who's had the best careers and whatever. But at the peak level of what they can do, AD might be the best overall big man of all time. Just think about this. So think about how he's guarding Shaq and how Shaq is guarding him in space. Okay? Or Kareem or anyone else. Uh, and a game is not one-on-one, I realize. Those guys played right. five games of one-on-one. There wasn't team basketball back then like there is now. Kareem would be unbelievable in this game. I'm not saying any of that. Yeah. But 
He's every he's their he's their size. He's not as heavy as Shaq. And of course, Shaq would dunk on people. But you think Shaq wouldn't be in foul trouble with guarding that cat out on the perimeter? And the way he runs, and I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The way he races and catches right. in traffic and finishes in traffic, like he's a, a six foot four tight end in the NFL. Like nobody, all those things combined, and then defensively, those guys can't guard Jimmy Butler. What? Right. Like, not That's even close. where he really does and it. And he right? can guard those guys on the perimeter. And here's the most amazing thing about him that because a lot of the stuff I don't think is so amazing. It's just amazing. This is capital A amazing. He moves his feet against these guys. They change their direction. They change their speed. He stays right with them. But then he has the hand-eye coordination on 11-foot arms to deflect the shot or block it clean. The deflection, like tip it a little bit or block it. That's impossible. No one has that kind of hand-eye coordination, which is why he catches the ball in traffic and running 1,000 miles an hour. Uh, When you look at all of it, he is, I mean, at the very least, one of the select few bigs I've ever seen in, in my career. I, I mean, I, I guess a young Shaq. Th- th- here's the thing: if Shaq stays in good shape for his whole career, no, it's a whole different peak. ball game. Take but, Shaq at his peak, right? So, what, what's his peak? Was it? For, I don't really remember. First year LA. What is it? First year LA, probably. Yeah, for first year, second year, first year in LA. And how's he doing I mean, against Jimmy Butler on the perimeter in well, the NBA Finals? Now, so yeah, this is. I'll push cares? back She's on this point just a little bit. End. Right, <laughs> uh, but also Jimmy Butler not being a threat to shoot the three. Honestly, yeah, makes it makes it a pretty sure. smart move, and so you're you're using Anthony Davis's length to disrupt Jimmy's passing on the perimeter more than worried about getting beat or or the shot, so he can hang back a little bit. But it is a good point: is that they could put Anthony Davis on any single player out there except for I don't, Goron if he's playing. Just I, I don't even know, know that he can't do that. I'm not saying he can't. <laughs> I'm not sure. So agile and long. Yeah, it's you know what it is, Coach. It's not that. I don't. I don't necessarily agree. He's the greatest big man of all time. He's the most versatile big man we've had of all time. Like you know, it's it's hard to say in this era. Like first off, for me, the the cross era stuff is always difficult. Yeah, it's hard. I guess yeah. you know because like with I mean, here's the thing: Kareem's a better post player than AD's ever going to be. You know, and and Shaq's just going to bully you in the post. I mean, that's not AD's style, right? AD's face up games probably better than Shaq's. I'd put. Kareem's up there to, to challenge, but there wasn't a lot of face-ups back then for him either. I just think it's a versatility thing that kind of, he's the most versatile big man we've ever had. I think just across eras, I wouldn't go uh, greatest of all time just because I think, you know, Kareem also was able to block a ton of shots as well. You know, like he was the whole, I mean, they outlawed dunking in college to make it so he could be less uh of a threat like there's a whole level of these these things to it but it's an era thing like you know if if kareem had to grow up in this era and had to learn how to guard guards i don't know if he'd do it as well i mean he's a lot yeah, slower kareem, i think listen, and not as I, I was a laker fan then like you weren't watching kareem live i'm sorry <laughs> on tape delay in front of 11 30 like i was all right when i was in middle school you're right he was an extraordinary <laughs> athlete like Lou Alcindor, right. Kareem, extraordinary athlete. I get all that, but he just he uh, Anthony Davis is a guard, just like Jokic is the guard. They're guards. They're just in gigantic well, I, bodies, but they're guards. I think that's where that's where, but that's where that started, yeah. right? Because AD had that growth spurt. Yeah, he was a point you know, guard. It, was, you know, he was a he was a guard. Was a and then, yeah, they were point guards. Yeah, he, yeah, and, and and became a a big man overnight. So he just brought the guard skills with yeah. him. So I think that's kind of his advantage. So I think that's ultimately. For me, I would disagree with the, the the premise a little bit, but he is the most versatile big man 
I think we've ever had. As someone who lived in Minnesota in the late 90s and early 2000s, um, Kevin Garnett would like a word, especially if we're talking cross era and Kevin Garnett realizes, oh, wait, if I take one step back on all these long threes, I get an extra point. Uh, I think if we, you know, between the two of them. No, but he was, but, like but Anthony but Davis, like Anthony Davis has, has, has before this year's playoffs has never been a great three point shooter. And I, yeah, and I not, think that over, over, over his, shooter. over his career, Kevin Garnett was a better shooter than Anthony Davis has been for most of his career. Kevin Garnett changed the way Kevin Garnett in Tom Thibodeau's defense changed the way the NBA guarded pick and rolls with big men in terms of his ability to move his feet and chase out to half court. Um, I, I, you know, I, so I'll just I'll just so throw so that you're out saying there. Garnett's better than Anthony. So Garnett in his prime is better than this AD right now. No fucking way. I mean, I so, love KG. <laughs> so, KG might have been a better screener. No, if, so if, if screener, we take I'll if, give him that. Are, are, wait, you're, if you want to say you want to take the best month that that Kevin Garnett oh, no, ever yeah. was at basketball, <laughs> that's so no. And this is we, we talked about this earlier in terms of, of, of in terms of the bubble being a little different. So. Yeah. Like, let's see what happens next year. Yeah, let's see. Like, if if Anthony Davis is still like a forty eight percent mid range shooter, like right for the rest of his career, that's a very okay. fair point. Right because he's, yeah. he's, he's been he's like he's, he's been like a high Dirk. yeah he, he's, he's like been a, like Dirk from mid range. Yeah, he's a guy who's been high thirties for most of his career, and then in the playoffs, he's been high forties and banging threes, which like and he's the, about to win a title. Yeah, and it's not not to take anything, I think he should be the Finals MVP. Um, I do too. Me too. Um, and not oh, to take anything away. It depends. It depends how game yeah. five oh, goes for, for Yeah, LeBron. for sure. Well, well yeah. It's it's because I I actually have something coming out yeah. on Bleacher <laughs> so, relatively soon. And this, <laughs> but this is sort of my natural conservatism and not wanting to be too much of a prisoner of the moment. Like, yes, right now he is like he's playing at a certain level. But this gets you back to like the the what was the year that Tracy McGrady had like like was it two thousand one that I want to say or 2003 Ooh, yeah, yeah. that Tracy McGrady had just that that bonkers year that that like is arguably better than Kobe's best season it's like so if you're gonna well peak versus whatever and it and it's kind of a silly argument and I just don't want to be prisoner of the moment saying that for the last month he's reached a certain level therefore he is that um, yeah, so I want to see it for a little longer still, but most guys don't get to that point that's now, true so no I mean that's true I've never it's, seen this before it's an honor to nope. be nominated also also, if this is if this is how the arenas are going to be next year, and if Anthony Davis is shooting fifty percent from the mid range, uh, it's a wrap. I'm going to go ahead and say Lakers in four uh, next, next year in the finals. Oh, oh, oh. I, he's he is unstoppable. Um, all right, so I guess as we wrap up, Coach, um, you know, what are you thinking about as we head into the off season? This is you know, assuming that the the finals are going to be over uh, relatively soon here. Um, I mean, they will definitely be over before we record next week. So as we head into the offseason, uh, what sort of things are you, are on your mind? Really, you have no – I mean, it's – I was talking to some players uh, yesterday and today. I just don't know when they're going to have to go to uh, pre-camp and then real camp. Like, you know, I've talked to two executives the last two days. One one thought early December they might start having guys start matriculating. Another thought more like the new year, maybe start an MLK day. That seems ambitious to me. MLK Day is is just what third week of January, I think. Um, that seems a little fast. Uh, so there's just a lot of uncertainty, and that's never good for athletes. Just like we saw during the pandemic, uh, they need they need to have some certainty to it. 
And so I, I hope, I, I trust Adam Silver will figure some things out. I'm a little worried about that off time. I, I want to make sure the guys know, let, let's eat right, let's, let's be healthy, let's stay safe. That's the other thing too is I, I live in Florida, so we're about to have our great weather and live outside. I'm worried about much of the country and the pandemic getting, I mean, 40,000 cases a day every day, and we're just about to get started. We are like 10,000 a day when things got bad to begin with. I'm worried about all of you that, well, Texas is okay, but Denver, all the North, you know, Wisconsin, Alaska, I'm worried. So as a human being and as an American and as a thinking, caring person, I have a lot of concerns. And then when you throw in the NBA, I think there's a lot of doubt going forward. I'm not, I'm not fired up about that at all. Well, coach, thank you. It's always a pleasure. And we, I miss you around here. Um, so it's nice to have, we, we got to get a show with Tom. I, think, I thought about that here. too. Yeah, we'll we'll do the full the five man nerder lineup at some point. It'll it'll be a mess, but it'll be it'll be a good time. I want to so, do it. I coach, want Seth to call me silly again. There you <laughs> it'll go. Be like the, it'll be, it'll, just kidding. It'll be like it'll be like the debates. Yeah. It's, silly, it's silly after one month, but Seth's point is fantastic. It's just been one month. Yeah. But Dave, if, if it's true, if they all play. By the way, if we got rid of arenas as uh, as they are now and just had the players own the league. And yeah. I, I've been saying they could do the Celine Dion of, of just you know come to a city and there's 12 teams there and they just play. No, and if you're there in town, you go to the game, but it's all about a TV product. AD is going to be the MVP every year because this sounds this no sounds fans. like this sounds like my barnstorming league. Uh, so check out check out Coach over at True Hoop. They're doing really excellent stuff over there. Of course, look at all at Mo's stuff over at Bleacher Report. I'm looking forward to reading this new piece that he just teased. And Seth's analytical look around has just been, I mean, it, it, literally a must read every single morning. Yes. Uh, me, Seth, and Mo will be back next week to, to wrap a little bow around this year. Uh, but we had to get Coach in before the season was over. So for Coach... For Seth, for Mo, I'm Dave, and we'll be back next week with more Nerdishy Wrote on the Athletic NBA Show.